It's lights out and away we go. Podcasting from Studio 2520, somewhere near Akron, Ohio, and live via the paid subscription to Zencaster, the campus of Otterbein University, Westerville, Ohio. This once again is tackling the chicane. My girl, gone, gone, gone. The Canadian band Chilliwack spent number three in Canada in 1981, hit the United States, and reached number 22 in August of 1981, which coincided with the launch of MTV on August 1st, 1981. And believe it or not, Chilliwack was in the strong rotation because they did not have a whole lot of videos. (laughs) Ten years old, probably entering my fourth year of grammar school. As you can imagine, when this song came on the top 40 with Casey Kasem, you can imagine how excited I was. (laughs) so there you go there's your little tidbit of musical history as we enter this uh, podcast i i have to once again applaud your dedication to the craft that is the intro of this podcast and also the meticulous uh, combing through of your musical archives that you do once a week to pull just the the perfect song for the show. And uh, you never seem to drop the ball, which is fantastic. That is a song that I knew uh, probably because of you, but I had no idea it was by the band Chilliwack because I don't think many people in 2023 are spinning Chilliwack, but you know, 
that There's is a, a couple great of really song. good so, tracks off that album. Props to you. And there was a little bit of a resurgence during the uh, Wayne and Garth days on uh, Saturday Night Live, where they played. They actually had two guys from Chilliwack come on at some point, but uh, yeah, that uh, that one took me back quite a bit. So always a good time. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, well, we went on a brief hiatus. Uh, member of the podcast uh, that I'm talking to now on a retreat to the Keys of Florida. So, sounded like that was great. Um, I myself spent last weekend in the movie theater. Uh, I did the barbie slash oppenheimer twin spin that has been taking the nation by storm um obviously oppenheimer christopher nolan killian murphy awesome um barbie unexpectedly fantastic actually um it's one of those movies that you just kind of have to see it to get it but yeah pleasantly surprised uh, without spoiling too much, I will say Ryan Gosling um, plays Ken, and there is a scene where he does a cover of uh, Matchbox 20's Push for Barbie, which is quite funny. Well, every once in a while, a movie like that comes along and, and on the surface um, probably doesn't look all that great, but... Uh... Apparently, mm -hmm. it is enjoying a rather large share of the box office right now. And uh, I, I want to see Oppenheimer yeah, so. for sure. Um, when yeah. I was in high school, there was a movie called Fat Man and Little Boy, which were the two nicknames of the bombs. And it was sort of the same mm -hmm. kind of, you know, somebody's take on how all that went down. But I'm... I'm much looking forward to seeing this particular film. Yeah, I would re highly recommend it. Um, yeah, not much else to say about it uh, other than, you know, get a bag of popcorn and a drink because it's a long one, but it is it is worth every penny of the cool. admission for sure. So let's, uh, we'll back up a bit here in the F1 world to the uh, Hungarian GP. And I, I saw very brief moments of qualifying, but um, I did uh, the 30 minute recap on F1 of the actual race, which was ended up being probably the best way to see it because there was some, some things that happened and then there was a lot of, laps where there wasn't a whole lot going on but i have some notes here um you know the qualifying obviously was kind of the the high point of this particular race uh obviously you know hamilton sure. takes the pole and anytime we can unseat the the uh red bull team that's fine uh Russell of note, Mercedes team started 18th. Uh, Ricardo in his debut qualified 14th, uh, but 
uh, Botas with a seventh uh, position in qualifying, and and Zhou Guan Yu with a fifth, which you know that's always good to see a little mix up. You know, some cars that are a bit faster here and there. Um, you know, lap one, the Alpine team basically fucked themselves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, becoming one of the more dominant stories in the paddock over the past, I, I would say, few races. Um, this Alpine se- team seems to be a, little, a bit of a, a bit shit show at the at moment. And, yeah. You know, Ricardo had a very near miss. He was able to come out unscathed, and unfortunately the two Alpine cars were the ones that did not. Yeah, so just staying on that lap one incident for a second, um, Joe Guan Yu, who qualified fifth, from what I I actually watched the highlights like a few minutes before th- we recorded just to get a refresh of what all kind of went down, he actually initiates the anti-stall measurement in his car, um, which then obviously gets him off the line real late, but it, it triggers this chaotic little mess here where Ricardo is hot on the brakes and basically out of control. He makes a little contact, if I'm not mistaken. And then Gasly tries to fire himself wide on that first corner and then ends up colliding with Ocon. All to say that Alpine, yet another double DNF, which we know how costly it is to run these cars on a weekly basis for these teams. And, uh, yeah, when you can't even get get one corner through a race, it's uh that really hurts a team, it does. regardless and, of who and, it is. You know, to finish in this series is an accomplishment. To be in the top ten is a major award. Um, but what you can't do is is take both cars out and score nothing and have no chance. So. Um, I walked in the back room of the studio today and uh, I glanced at, we had some predictions for the season and, um, one of them was that Alpine would finish as a constructor. And I don't remember the particular place, but if they don't, um, pull up their pants here pretty soon, that, that will probably be a, uh, failed prediction on at least my part believe (laughs) yeah i think one of maybe something we need to do after this last this next grand prix during their little summer hiatus is maybe take a look at said predictions and see what's going on there because yeah because i know um i predicted (laughs) charles leclerc to win (laughs) the world championship and that's not exactly going to plan interestingly that you mentioned that uh, still fumbles uh by the ferrari team um yeah lap 18 leclerc pits and they have a issue with the 
one of the guns in 9.6 seconds in the pit. And yeah, interestingly enough, this race, I believe, had some of the fastest pit stops that I've seen at least this year in the series. And, you know, I'll, I'll, it doesn't really matter as far as timeline goes, but Red Bull's pit stop was 2.3, their first pit stop, Verstappen, 2.3 seconds. Uh, Perez had a 1.9 second stop. Very Holy. quick. Uh, Norris, 2.1 seconds. So clearly, pit strategy is is very important, and it kind of will mm-hmm. bring me to the, my next point is this McLaren team is is showing up quite well, quite well. Yeah. Um, and I look, I would love to see them continue on this path successfully. I mean, we can't. I won't let it go that the gap between one and and two was thirty three seconds. But you know, we know Red Bull has a rocket ship. Basically, um, these. GPs are are mostly influenced by the upper middle pack positions four through seven. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm happy for McLaren. I really am. I I think they they deserve yeah. the positions that they're getting, and and Piastri and Norris are really running good races. Yeah, I think I said this exact same thing last episode. But, yeah, this McLaren team has been a real breath of fresh air um, because, obviously, they can, they've can they shown for a, a few GPs now that they're legit and can compete for podiums. But they also are challenging Red Bull, which is... Very nice to see because obviously in this race, Verstappen wins by 33 seconds, and I'm not going to try and downplay that. But Perez was not able to chip away at Norris really much at all. Uh, Or he did, but it took much longer than it probably should have or would have I think, you know, two months ago. Yeah. The disparity between those two Red Bull cars is still very evident. And we're talking about 37 seconds between Max and, and Sergio, but he did Mm not, uh, you know, Norris drove a, a, a beautiful defensive race position wise. And even at the end, um, he was still, looking at the time, you know, four-ish seconds ahead of Perez. So Perez was not yeah. making any ground for whatever reason. And it, it's kind of interesting that are we talking about a driver performance versus a car performance or is the Perez car just you would think that they would be set up very similarly I think they are. Um, I This season has really shown to me that I think Perez is just not up to the level of Verstappen. 
Um, and really, it's not particularly close. Um, Perez is a great driver, but he makes way too many mistakes, and a lot of those are coming in qualifying. So what's happening is he sometimes he does run a great race, and you know his two wins this season show that, but he so many times now has had to do the rescue job every time. So he'll line up. I think he started this one ninth. Um, even if the Red Bull car itself is the fastest on the grid, it still takes most of the race to get up six spots, you know? So it's, I think it's becoming more of a, a, a skill discrepancy between the two drivers and I'm finding less and less evidence and really reason to try to push this different car agenda as the season moves yeah. on. Yeah. And with the balance of the of the GP season you know we have a 10 point differential between the top two drivers and they're both Red Bull it's Verstappen and Perez, 281 to 171. Uh, Alonzo, 139 points. So, you know, will they unseat the two drivers in the championship? Not sure. It all depends. I think McLaren is, is kind of the wild card here. Uh, you know, Aston Martin continues to to put their drivers in the top 10, both of them, uh, on a regular basis. So that's kind of interesting to watch as well, but it, the grid, the driver's point championship looks really good to me right now. Uh, Verstappen, Perez, Alonzo, uh, Hamilton is only six points off of Alonzo and, you know, clearly he qualified well, he got the pole something happened between qualifying and the race. The car was basically shit during this particular GP <laughs> and there were a lot of radio yeah, calls. I think that, you know, mm -hmm. he, they're yeah. just, I don't, that's, that's the biggest conundrum for me is, you know, what, what happens to the car between qualifying and race day where, you're that fast and then all of a sudden you you have no grip you know you're struggling to to stay on course it's i it's got to be tire strategy i i i think it's complex it's a complex issue hamilton has made it no secret he doesn't like the the car that mercedes have given him this year um this particular race he just didn't start that well and that kind of contributed to his position but yeah i mean he's wasn't even really challenging norris at any point um so i don't know i think i think a lot of it has to do just with what has been given to him uh the mercedes hasn't really proven as much as um as much as the Red Bulls that they have a, a long run car so that, uh, you know, a car that can 
kind of give the same great performance throughout an entire race compared to one flying lap and qualifying. So yeah, I think it's just really a lot of different things coming into one there yeah. with Mercedes. And, you know, constructor points wise, I mean, Red Bull's not going to be taken down, but there's a 30, 29 point differential between Mercedes and Aston. So that could, could maybe go depending on a- anyone's luck uh, one way or the other. Um, and Ferrari's right there in fourth, but you know, they, strangely mm-hmm. enough, they, their performance hasn't really been that great. Um, no, I, it's, it's been a, a big struggle and even just compare it to last season when sure they were comfortably second, but they were comfortably better than, than Mercedes last year. Um, and now it seems like they're fighting with Aston Martin more than anyone, which Aston Martin have kind of fallen off a little bit themselves. So I really look to, I, I do think Ferrari will pass Aston Martin at some point just because they have a better driver lineup. Um, but with this McLaren resurgence, this, this battle for second, maybe third, I think is going to be really interesting coming down the, coming down the line here. Uh, we'll see if Mercedes can continue to kind of be the, the best of the rest throughout the rest of the season. Yeah. So we have the Belgian GP, um, coming up very quickly here. Practice starts tomorrow. Um, Circuit de Spa. And first GP was 1950, 44 laps. Circuit length is seven kilometers, so fairly long track. Race distance, three point, or 308 kilometers. Uh, the record currently stands Valtteri Botas in 2018. So, <laughs> yeah. Interesting we'll see. there. We'll see. And after, after yeah, this particular it's... race, we, we got a bit of a break. And I don't know, is it, mm-hmm. what is the summer break? Three weeks? Yeah, so I think we've got this race coming up here, which would be the 30th of July. And I believe the next GP is the 27th of August. August so, that yeah. We'll... We'll have to have some yeah. filler. <laughs> we'll have to scrounge around for some material, but hey, we did that whole, for well, a whole like offseason. So. Maybe going back to the predictions um, and see, just see yeah. where we're at mid-season. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, make some that will be interesting. And, and, uh, <laughs> so this show number is 48. Yeah. yeah, 48. So, 50th show, we might have to figure <laughs> out something. Yeah, we're going to have to do something special, I think. Um, one more thing before we move on to some soccer content. You you sent me a post this morning 
that I thought was kind of interesting and worth maybe a little discussion uh, from The Drive, which is a great motorsport uh, journalistic uh, outlet. Uh, the headline reads as such, F1 demands Las Vegas venues pay for a view of the race. And then the sub headline here, the series has allegedly threatened to block sight lines to the track for businesses that don't pay a hefty licensing. (laughs) So I read this article and if Vegas F1 was already not obtainable to most of the norm or normal folks here, uh, average ticket price over three days is uh, over $6,000. Okay. (laughs) And what I took from that article is, is if you have a business that is adjacent to the, to the track, not necessarily a casino, but it could be a bar or a restaurant or any other, you know, means of 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 making cash very very strangely f1 so here here's what they're here's what they want to do is they will go to a business that has any kind of sight line to the gp and whether that be a poor sight line or or not they will say, what is your capacity for, the, for occupancy? So let, let's just use a round number. As I have a bar that might get a glimpse of a corner, and I have 100 mm-hmm. people that can be in my bar. And F1 says, well, we would like you to pay us $1,500 per seat. 1. 1.5. Right? Yeah. I, and if, according to the article, if if they don't comply, then they're going to either put up some kind of barricade or, you know... Yeah, that is the really odd part. So, I this is really strange to me because I've never heard of um, um, a sports league or the FIA in this example doing this, blocking the view from from places that just so happen to potentially look on to the track that is a street course mind you through a city that it does it seems does. a little and fascist say, for lack of a better word <laughs> if i have a place that can give a hundred people a, a, a glimpse then let me choose yeah. what my my um admission is to that so Maybe I have a cover charge mm-hmm. or, you know, if you want to come here for yeah. the GP, it's going to be whatever, 50 it's bucks. 
yeah you know you're not gonna bucks. be able to yeah, see much whatever. anyhow um yeah I, it kind of it reminds me of of uh wrigley field where we know that there are mm-hmm. there are places outside <laughs> of the stadium that you know are able to see yeah. the game major league baseball doesn't put up any kind of blinders or yeah or anything that's what i mean Uh, it it seems so weird that this is even a thing it speaks to f1 uh as much as we love the series there is a lot of things that that are wrong (laughs) you know you've made you they make so much money and they're going to make more i guarantee you that the that race in Las Vegas will net F1 probably more money or equal money to like a Dubai or, you know, some other comparison, mm-hmm. right? The difference yeah. is here in the USA, if, if I have Bob's bar and I have a chance to have my folks see a car go by, even at a distance, that's, you know, that's my bar. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. It so, doesn't make a lot of sense. Interesting. Just, point, though, and I, when, when I saw that I article, I, I, I read it and I was, I was a little disappointed, <laughs> but. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, seems like overreach from the FIA and F1. I just, I don't know. It's one of those things where, like you said, as much as we love the series, sometimes it's like, could, could you be any more pompous? <laughs> like, could you, th- there is a pretty valid argument for people who won't watch F1 who say it's, too full of itself or you know whatever snooty and i i kind of understand that but like when this when you see articles like this it's just like oh my god that you're not helping any stereotype but what do they care they're printing money so and this is a you know inaugural deal there and yeah it could be more of a we would like to block your view, but we'll. I, I would like to see a follow up after the GP if that actually happens. Um, yeah, but yeah, so we'll see. First time in Vegas, and yeah. and we're starting to see some of the uh, extra trappings of sun. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I guess we won't really know what to think of that one until it happens. But yeah, uh, until then, Belgium, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, do a little rain dance for a Verstappen engine malfunction or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, uh, business as usual otherwise in F1. But yeah, I just thought that would yeah. be worth bringing up there. All right. Well, I think that pretty much concludes our F1 segment. 
of the show here, so we will be switching gears into our soccer coverage. Um, I thought this would be a good week, uh, as any other, to take a look um, kind of ahead to the upcoming Scottish Premiership season. Um, so believe it or not, uh, August 5th, so that is a week from Saturday, is when we get things rolling again. Um, and if it seems like it was an abbreviated off-season, it's because it was. Um, the World Cup of 2022 sort of threw a wrench into last season's calendar um and what when a season normally ends early may to mid-may it ended at the uh end of may so um got about two months off there but yeah uh like it or not we are raring to go in scotland august 5th so i will start off this coverage here with a question to you and that is simply are you ready for another campaign um i i'm still a little bit confused there's an awful lot of soccer that's played um outside of the actual quote unquote season um with the various cups and whatnot um i know that from what you and I have talked about, that there has been a little bit of shakeup, especially in the Celtic um, forum, right? So we we yeah switched managers. We we now have a new manager. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, that is correct. Um, so what I'm going to do here is just give a kind of brief overview for all 12 of the clubs uh, and we will give a little discussion about each maybe pose a question or two if you have one um, but yeah headliner here for this little preview is Celtic FC um, and you hinted at it already but the team did, in fact, switch managers, so that's kind of the big storyline heading into this season. Um, the somewhat new manager is Brendan Rodgers, and I say that because he actually managed Celtic FC from uh, 2016 to 2019 before taking a job in the Premier League with Leicester. Um, so he's back for round two after Ange Postacoglu departed for Tottenham. Um, so here's going to be the format. Um, so I obviously wrote down the manager, gave a brief little kind of synopsis of what to expect or kind of expectations for each team. And then I also wrote down some key signings. So I'll just run through that for each team. Then we can do a little discussion. Um, and Before we'll go from there. we get fully into it, um, Mm -hmm. give give me a bit of a, a recap on have we've we lost a few players right at celtic and i i'm gonna yeah i'm gonna pull the celtic card we we might not go so in depth <laughs> with each one of these teams but that is our yeah 
you know, that's, that's the it's home the home club of the podcast. So maybe just touch a bit yeah. on maybe a few of the guys that got shuttled. Yeah. Um, so the big, I guess the big headliner of departures was Jota, uh, which we discussed a little bit when that happened. Um, basically, he got an offer from Saudi Arabian club Al Ittihad. Um, that was about, uh, I believe, anywhere from five to ten times the salary that Celtic paid him. Um, so he jetted off to Saudi Arabia, uh, sort of one of those offers that uh, it's really hard to pay down or turn down when you get uh, down to the brass tacks of things. Um, so he is probably the main departure. Obviously, we've talked about his exploits a number of times last season. That is going to be a pretty big loss for the club. Um, another player that left just due to retirement, actually, was Aaron Moy, the midfielder, uh, the Australian. He announced his retirement probably a month ago now. Um, so good luck to him on his exploits. But those are the two uh, names that really left that had pretty much real impact on the club. So those will be names we will not be seeing suit up for the hoops this year. Gotcha. So you've got some key signings here. Or... Mm-hmm the old firm that is correct so not these are for celtic at least not all of the and really for none of the clubs but uh all of the signings they have made this transfer window the, tr the window is still open so clubs can still make uh you know deals until that closes but running through some of said signings for celtic we've got the Norwegian midfielder Odin Thiago Holm, who was the first signing of the of, of this season. Um, haven't really seen much of him, and that's because it's only been preseason games, and I haven't watched either of them. Um, so I can't really speak upon the quality, but obviously highly rated and a young talent. Uh, the newest signing is this Mike... Nevroki, uh character from, uh, I believe he was signed from the Polish League, and he is Polish. He is a defender. Um, so Cameron Carter-Vickers will actually be starting the campaign most likely on the sidelines due to uh, surgery he had at the end of last season. So this Mike Nevroki, uh player will be filling in and probably at least competing for a starting spot alongside Carl Starfelt in the defense. Um, and then we actually signed two Korean uh, players, but this one, Hyunju Yang, uh, trying my best with the pronunciation there, but uh, a winger highly rated from the Korean league. So those are some of the big signings that have come our way over in okay. the Celtic camp. So... August August five. All right, right is our kickoff, yes. and and just I won't do this for every team, but 
who do we meet first? Um, so Celtic will open the season up against Ross County uh, at home. So there will be a trophy celebration from last year. Uh, it's called Flag Day. They'll raise the league banner. Um, so there will be that to look forward to. And then they will kick off the campaign against Ross County. Uh, you know, betting man says should be a decently comfortable match for Celtic, but we'll see when we get there. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the story of, of Celtic coming in to this next campaign. Uh, if you have no more questions or qualms, we can move on to the other end sure. of Glasgow. Let's go Rangers. Okay. <laughs> Yes, so the other side of the Glasgow Derby here, Rangers FC will once again continue to be Celtic's most prominent challenger for the league. They're managed by Michael Beale, who uh, was signed last winter, it would have been. Um, so my little synopsis here. Uh, the pressure is on for Beal and Rangers after a disappointing, trophyless season last time out. What still feels like a squad that is building towards something more, the gap to Celtic still feels significant. Uh, many signings have been flying in after some key players left at the end of last season. Um, so before we kind of talk about some of the key signings, uh, their biggest departure would have been Alfredo Morelos, who was uh, a friend of the show. I think you will recall the Colombian striker more often than not getting into more fights than scoring Mostly goals, it angry. seemed, last season. Yeah. Yeah, so that was one of the key departures. So a little bit of squad overturn um, from Rangers this heading into this campaign. Um, and they really have splashed the cash this window. Um, some of their, I suppose, more interesting signings is Serial Dessers. Uh, probably not saying that right, but he is a forward who I believe was signed from the Italian League, a club called Cremonese. Um, Sam Lammers is another forward, so you can see they're really kind of looking towards one position to strengthen here. And then Jack Butland is a highly rated English goalkeeper who they signed. Um, this is not related to the play on the field necessarily, but I remember playing the FIFA video game, and Jack Butland was a total cheat in in FIFA, so he was almost unplayable in that game. But yeah, very good goalkeeper, 30 years old, replacing Alan McGregor, who was, what, like 42 or 3 last season. Okay. So, so that is Rangers. Um, Any questions there? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, what? Well, Pretty straightforward, the first two, I would say. Um, expect Celtic to probably start the season strong, Rangers as well. But I, like I said in that little synopsis, I still think it's 
a pretty sizable gap between um, Rangers and Celtic, but of course it's a long season, so we'll Aberdeen. see. Our, yes, on to Aberdeen, who clinched that best of the rest title last year, finishing third. That guarantees them group stage European football for this season, so that'll come either by the way of the Europa League or the Europa Conference League. But Aberdeen is managed by Barry Robson and their story heading into this one. After moving on from manager Jim Goodwin last season, interim manager Barry Robson took charge and led the Dons to seven straight wins near the end of last season. Aberdeen will look to solidify third place again this season and get closer to the old firm as guaranteed European group stage football will allow for more cash to flow into the club. Players like Duke and Miofsky should help Aberdeen in the attack this season. So uh, one of the sort of unsung heroes of the last campaign, at least by this podcast, was Duke um, for Aberdeen. He was a Portuguese attacker who really banged in the goals and was maybe one of the, if not the best player that in the league last season that did not play for Celtic or Rangers. Um, and their key signings, we've got Esther Sokler, who is a forward, and Nicky Devlin, who they actually signed from Livingston. He's a right back, very scrappy, always looks for a tackle. I think that'll do well to solidify the Do you look for Aberdeen to make a little splash? Um, you know, I do. I think, so last year what we saw was Celtic comfortably the best rangers comfortably second and then this huge gap between rangers and second and uh aberdeen and third i do look to see aberdeen kind of chip away at that gap if that makes sense what will be interesting to see is how their squad can balance um european football and the domestic league um, so they're definitely going to have to make a lot of signings and solidify that depth. Um, but yeah, I do think Aberdeen will probably be the most challenging team to play against outside of the old firm this season. Okay. So let's go to hearts right. of Mithlobian. <clears throat> yes, let's indeed do that. Moving to Edinburgh here, the capital of Scotland. Uh, this is interesting. Managed by Frankie McAvoy. Okay, not really, though. Um, so Frankie McAvoy is the technical manager of hearts, right? Um, their manager that finished the campaign last season on an interim basis, Stephen Naismith, um, is still with the club. Basically, you have to obtain a coaching license in, in UEFA, which is the governing body of soccer in Europe. Um he does not meet all the qualifications of that. So he's actually working to obtain uh, said license. So what we have is Frankie McAvoy uh, kind of posing as head coach until Stephen Naismith gets his license. So one of the sort of 
weird things about soccer that's kind of different from other sports that you might be used to where you know you don't really need like a, a license to be a the browns coach for example um so very interesting tidbit but here's their story heading into this season hearts are looking to rebound from a lackluster season where they finished fourth and lost to hibs in the league for the first time since 2019 Hibbs, of course, being their arch nemesis. Frankie McAvoy is the manager, but Stephen, Stephen Naismith will also kind of be in charge. It's kind of confusing, like I just said. It could be a bit of a struggle for Hearts this season, but expect them to be tough at Tyne Castle, their home stadium, once again. Key signings. It's been slow, and they haven't spent much money at all. Um... That's part of the reason why I don't see them being super successful this year. Uh, But signings that have come in, Frankie Kent, a defender, and Callum Nievenhoff, a midfielder. So could be a bit of a struggle for Hearts this year. But we know just from covering them on the show, they do usually offer a challenge. Can be scrappy. Can be scrappy. Yeah. I think you'll remember that title-clinching match where we went up to the, the pub, and it was not a super fun match believe, for about yeah. 60 minutes. There was a lot of uh, ticky-tack ticky tack football being playing, dur- playing dur- during that particular uh, outing. But, uh... Yeah. Interestingly... Uh, Hearts also cut the amount of tickets that they're giving to away fans. Um, And it was already pretty low relative to out of the league. So it was like a thousand before it's down to like 700, um, which is good because more hearts fans are piling into the stadium to see their team, but makes it a bit, just that bit more difficult for the opposing team when less of your, your fans are there. So that's okay. something to keep in mind. Let's move to uh, yeah, Hibernian Moving on with the uh, yes manager Lee Johnson. Yes, so Hibernian, the arch nemesis of Hearts on the other side of Edinburgh, managed by Lee Johnson, the Englishman, who you might know from Sunderland acclaim back a few years ago. Um, Hibs could potentially be the most improved side from last season. Caveat, they played a European, uh, Europa Conference League match today against a team I've never heard of, and they lost. So maybe not, but we'll see. Um, the club really rounded into decent form at the end of last season, and I think Johnson, with some financial backing, can really get his squad to be a difficult team to play against. Forward Eli Yuan is one of the most dangerous in the league on his day, and Hibbs' midfield unit doesn't have a ton of weaknesses. So this brings me to their, I think one of their big key signings um, is Dylan Levitt. He is a young midfielder, Welsh midfielder, who starred for Dundee United last season, who we know were relegated. Um, But this Dylan Levitt kid is... I think has the makings to be quite good. Um, 
and he already has shown that with Dundee United being one of their few bright stars. Uh, so I'm hoping with surrounded with a better team than that Dundee United squad last year, I think he can really get this Hibs team to be a, a force to be reckoned with in the league. We will see after this today's result. Maybe not so much, but um, Jordan Obita is another signing they made, and he is a left back. So that is Hibs. Anything for you on Hibernian? Negative. <laughs> so okay. Yes, Motherwell. Moving on. Well, go ahead. Yeah. Stuart Kettlewell, the manager. Indeed. All right, so moving on to Motherwell. Another team that finished the season a lot better than they started. I think Motherwell can bring their newfound form into this season. Their best player, Kevin Van Veen, left this summer, so it will be a big struggle to try and replace him. If Motherwell can tighten it up defensively, the team could see a top-half finish this season. So Stuart Kettlewell, another one of those interim managers who then was brought on permanently after he saw some good form with the club last season. They were terrible the first half and then really rounded into decent form. Uh, not a ton uh, to do here in the transfer window. Papa Pape Suare is a left back they brought in along with Jonathan Obika. And it looks like their strategy is to kind of pilfer through some of the English lower leagues and bring some talent to the premiership in Scotland. So the Steelmen, as they are known, uh, could be a team to look out for. Fair enough. So St. Mirren manager, Stephen Robertson, Robinson. Uh, yes. So don't know a whole lot about St. Mirren. I've, <laughs> play yeah maybe half the time <laughs> yeah not one of the shiny clubs of the premiership but one that actually had their best season since the 80s last year where they finished sixth a top half finish uh and they actually beat celtic 2-0 but let's uh talk about that right now Headed into this season, St. Mirren will be looking to build off of their first top-half finish in the league since the 1980s. Under popular manager Stephen Robinson, St. Mirren will probably be able to pull off surprises similar to last season's 2-0 defeat of Celtic. The club did lose Curtis Main, who was important in the midfield, but should retain most of its core, and once again look to be a tough side to play against this season. Some key signings for them. Uh, winger Connor McMenamin, I believe he was signed from a Welsh club, and James Bolton, a right back. Yeah, I think it's interesting you bring that up because St. Mirren are a team that are rarely put on television for some reason. Although when they do, every time I've watched them, they've usually been a, a pretty decent watch. So might be a team to kind of circle and keep an eye on throughout this this uh, season. Kilmarnock. Which. Yes. Um. <laughs> I will uh, digress. There is a, a 
apparently a delicious meat pie. <laughs> yes, the the kill mar- the killy pie. Yeah, which I've got sad news. They uh, their baker's sponsor is gone for this season so, on their shirt. So pies. Um, well, I I'm sure the pies are still sold at Rugby Park, their home ground, but uh, no direct advertisement for the pies, which is not <laughs> ideal. It's very hard season. to uh, <laughs> to get here in the states as we have tried. But yeah, manager. Yeah, go ahead. to the. Uh... Oh, I was just gonna say one more thing about the pies. To the creators of said pies, maybe think about expanding to this side of the Atlantic. I'd buy some. <laughs> Derek. Yeah, manager Derek McInnes here. Uh, the second season back since their shock relegation in 2021, Kilmarnock are hoping to solidify their pit position in the league this year in push for top half football. McInnes will look to keep his side out of the relegation battle, which they were dragged into for much of last season. Club captain Kyle Vassell needs to improve his goals tally if he wants to ensure Kilmarnock can look Above and not below in terms of the table this season. Uh, Kilmarnock have been decently busy in the transfer window, but mostly with free signings, so guys they don't have to pay a transfer fee for, but still have to you know pay them wages. Um, those look like Maddie Kennedy, who actually left Aberdeen for Kilmarnock. He is a winger. Kyle McGinnis, a midfielder. And... Uh, I made a note here, and this actually applies to, I think, all of the final teams here. Killy have reportedly spent no money in this window so far. So looks like a lot of teams here near the bottom uh, pinching pennies a little bit. So we'll see how that strategy works. Sure. And then uh, that brings us to Livingston manager David Martindale. Yes, so Livingston uh, playing at the fortress known as the Tony Macaroni Stadium, a uh, local eatery in in Scotland that I believe serves Italian fare. Uh, Along with Kilmarnock, they play on a... I think that's the general vibe that I got when I Googled them one time. Uh, Yeah, so Livingston... uh, known for their artificial turf, which is hard to play on, and people don't like playing there. Also known for usually being taken over when any of Celtic or Rangers or Hearts come to town. So uh, here's their story heading into this year. Every season, it seems like many of the pundits are trying to find reasons for why Livingston will go down, and they never seem to actually get relegated. Operating on the smallest budget in the league, Martindale once again has a huge task on his hands to keep Livingston afloat. He will hope Joel Nublay can improve on his goals tally and that keeper Shamal George remains sturdy between the sticks. Uh, key signings, uh, like I just said, they will rely heavily on players that they already have because they don't spend much money. Um, but one they did bring in was Mikey Devlin, 
uh, and he is a defender. So yeah, Livingston, not known for playing a particularly awesome style of football. I seem to recall us uh, covering a match where they played hearts to a enthralling nil-nil draw. Um, along with, I believe we went to the bar and watched Celtic play Livingston, and it wasn't particularly interesting either. So kind of same old, same sure. old on that front for them. St. Johnstone with manager Stephen McLean. Why don't you give us a little insight on the magical 2021 season? Yeah. Yeah, that is actually pretty important because uh, since 2012, I believe, uh, so that would be over a decade, the uh, three most successful clubs in Scotland by Trophy Hall are Celtic, uh, and then St. Johnston (laughs) with two, and then Rangers with one. Uh, and then sporadic trophies for clubs uh, throughout that got won. But um, that is because in 2020, 2021, the dreaded COVID season, <laughs> St. Johnston won the Scottish Cup and the Scottish League Cup, which is incredible for a club their size. Um, so that barring a treble uh, will probably forever be the greatest season in that club's history. Um, So that was kind of the, one of the major shocks in Scottish football over the past long time, (laughs) but here's their story heading into the season. Since the aforementioned 2021 season in which they won the Scottish cup and league cup, it has really been sharply downhill They fired their manager late into the season last time out and did the bare minimum to avoid the relegation playoff. This season, they will look to stave off relegation once again and solidify a squad that can keep them in the top flight for seasons to come. They've made only two signings, um, and those are by the names of Luke Jeffcott. Uh, He's a forward, and Bulgarian Dimitar Mitov a goalkeeper. So two opposite ends of the pitch there. Um, yeah, not a whole lot to say about St. Johnston other than I think they will struggle this campaign. Okay. Next up, Ross County. Manager Malky McKay. Mackay. Mackay. It's a Scottish pretty... Scottish surname, Uh, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so Ross County, another one that kind of operates on a very small budget and sort of punches above their weight just by even being in the premiership. Uh, The season before last, they actually finished sixth, which was incredible for them. Last time out, it took them, well, why don't I just tell you? Last season was a near disaster for the Staggies. An 11th place finish and nearly getting relegated before an amazing turnaround against Partick Thistle in the relegation playoff. So with about 20 minutes left in this relegation playoff, Partick Thistle, aside in the championship, uh, were winning 
Uh, and it looked like Ross County were all but relegated until a miraculous comeback saved their season and their status as a top flight club. Ahead of this season, the club will want to avoid the relegation dogfight as well, and they should have the squad on paper to do so. So, like I said, they do have some some decent standout talent that I think is worth noting. But yeah, they'll once again be in a relegation scrap. Key signings, Jay Henderson, midfielder, and Amon, Yimon, Brophy, a forward. Okay. So, rounding out with Dundee manager, Tony Doherty. And is this yes. a story so, with Doherty? Try to gain some promotions, potentially. Yeah, so Dundee are the new, sort of new boys of the league. So they actually swapped places uh, with their, not even city side uh, rivals, their street side, their stadiums. You should Google it. Uh, separated by 200 meters. Um, but they switched sides. They won the Scottish Championship, the second tier last season. So it took Dundee just one try to gain promotion to the top flight after being relegated in 2022. They were the best of a league that seemed to have a bunch of teams that did not really want to get promoted. It is going to be a huge uphill battle for Dundee this season, and new manager Tony Doherty will have a big job on his hands to keep his side in the Premiership, although a lot of other teams in the league seem vulnerable. So this could be the season to stay alive. Key signings, Mexican Antonio Portales, center back. So always interesting to see some North American flair in the premiership. And then Scott Tiffany, who I believe they signed from Partick Thistle, a winger. So the new boys, um, Probably your odds-on favorite to get relegated this season, but, you know, who knows? A lot of teams are vulnerable. Um, but, yeah, with that, that kind of rounds out the 12-team uh, little whip-around style preview of the season to uh, things to keep in mind before heading into this next campaign. Well, that sounds great, and... I, uh, I guess we'll have more uh, soccer talk to come, especially in August with the uh, Scottish League kicking off. Um, yeah, so it'll be fun. Yeah. So, a reminder, August 5th is when that league gets firing again. Uh, August 12th is when the English Premier League returns, so the week after. So be on the lookout for uh, some talk about that. Um, yeah, it's been, it's felt like a really fast um, summer because it has been off season. Um, didn't really get to dive into as much stuff as I was hoping to, but, you know, time is is right. fickle like that so but yeah it should be another fun campaign and i do look forward to getting back into the swing of things 
on the European well, end this, of things. This podcast so, uh, arrives uh, once the winter sets in in Northeast yeah. <laughs> Ohio here. Um, we still have uh, sure. hopefully a couple of months left of of some kind of good weather, but it does go quickly. Yeah. It does, indeed. Off to your <laughs> third, yeah, third year. Unbelievable. Yeah, year three at, at the uni. So, uh, yeah, things are uh, really starting to kick into gear, I guess, in terms of that. So, All yeah. right. I think that just yeah. about rounds it out extra, for us this a week. A little bonus show for listeners just a little over an hour so enjoy and um, (laughs) I guess we'll get going if you're ready I am ready Four executive producers. Richard Tanaka. Adjunct producer Bailey Lucius. David Bresky. And Cy Silverstein. This has been Tackling the Chicane. Copyright 2023. We will see you next time.